welcome to episode 33 of Glass Onion on John Lennon. So this is actually a, what's called a swapcast, and this is a talk with a gentleman called Jason Barnard of the Strange Brew podcast. It's one of those podcasts I came across because I'd subscribed to ones which were similar. And obviously I recommend his podcast to you. It's a great mix of interviews about the rock scene. Strange Brew is obviously the name of a cream song. So it's of that era, I think. I haven't listened to all the episodes, but uh, there's quite a range. There's quite a lot of Beatle-related ones. And there are some clips that we're going to put in part two. Jeff Emmerich, for example. Ken Scott as well, who worked on Beatles stuff. There's lots of interviews with different musicians. We started following each other on Twitter, and then we met up on Skype to have a chat about things, and I proposed doing this episode. And Jason also works in the Cabinet Office, and since I'd just binge-watched The Thick of It, the brilliant British uh, political satire, I'm also a huge fan of Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister, and The Thick of It was kind of an updated version with more swearing. and uh, <laughs> It's absolutely frenetic, that show. And then I've recently been going through Veep again, the American version, so I made sure to ask Jason how true to life he thought The Thick of It, and he said well, it was... Slightly exaggerated, but there were a few Malcolm Tuckers around, if you know that show. If you've never seen The Thick of It, or Veep, or Yes Minister, I recommend all of those. Anyway, so I proposed to Jason that we do this John Lennon Best and Worst songs. So we did Five Best, Five Worst. Today's episode is part one of two, and this is the worst songs. Now, we do say throughout that we don't think these are terrible songs, and we could almost put worst in inverted commas, because we're both huge John Lennon fans. And honestly, you know, I say to Jason during this talk that I'm not a John Lennon fanboy that's automatically going to like everything he does, but I just happen to like most of what he put out. This is a shorter episode going through the songs that we're not too taken with. So there's not so much deep analysis. Part two, which will come out in under a week, I think actually I'm going to work hard at editing that, is longer, which is a good thing really, because uh, we do more deep analysis of the songs we think are the best. So this is fairly brisk. has a few audio clips that I think you'll enjoy, which as well as John feature such people as Andy Peebles, David Frost. And one of those clips really does show the amazing openness of talk shows in those days. Nowadays it's all very, very controlled, but then the audience were let in and John Lennon also was able to speak genuinely on the same level as quote-unquote ordinary people. So um, that's enjoyable. And then there's an isolated track from uh, a famous player. Fantastic. So um, I think we'll get straight to it. I'll probably do a longer intro in part two because there'll be more to talk about. But this is a nice little warm-up for the longer part two. Anyway, I'll be back on the other side with a few words. Enjoy. Hi, Jason. How are you? I'm fab, thank you. Fab. <laughs> I, I, didn't mean, I didn't mean to uh, do a pun there, but... Um, yeah, you did, you did. It's... Uh, <laughs> it just oozes out of me, just this uh, Lennon and Beatles stuff, clearly. Yeah, quite the same, yeah. <laughs> this is uh, what they call a swap cast, which is a phrase that someone's invented recently, uh, where we have uh, two people who have podcasts and they get together and chat about whatever and they both put the episode on their podcast. So um, can you just tell us about your podcast, first of all? Yes, uh, my podcast is called The Strange Brew been around about 10 years it started off as a bit of a sort of mixtape show the, the original concept was you like the Beatles so try this and it mixed in some of the more popular acts with the obscure and then 
a year or two after that, it varied, and I got to speak to a lot of the artists, predominantly 60s and 70s, predominantly Britain, but as time has passed, it's broadened to be much wider than that. So mm. recent shows have been Graham Goldman of 10CC, had Abba's bassist, Kimberly Rue, who was in the Soft Boys and Katrina in the Waves. But actually, over the years, I've had many artists that have worked with different members of the Beatles, people like Jeff Emerick. I've even had Mike McCartney on, so that was quite a good one, who worked, obviously worked a lot with his brother Paul. most recent Beatles show was with the leader of a Dutch band called The Analogues, who mm. um, actually recreate the Beatles sound quite faithfully live. And then... Mm. Um, from the Analogs deconstructed Abbey Road for me. So that was from November. Fantastic. We're going to be using some of those clips, in fact, aren't we? You found some mm. that are linked to our lists. Uh, not that we know what each other's lists are, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't possibly collude or anything there. We just made sure we haven't got clashes, but yes, <laughs> yes. That, was the, that was the extent of our collusion. I always ask my guests as well, could you give us your kind of John Lennon slash Beatles origin story? I mean, you grew up in England... It's impossible not to grow up with Beatles music around you and knowing who those people are, but is there any book or album that sort of sparked it off for you? Can you remember? Well, so I was born in 1979. It was a bit of a strange in a way because the, the 1980s didn't happen to me in the same way that it did to many other people because my parents had a radio station that predominantly played 60s and 70s music almost oh, exclusively, really? and obviously that included the Beatles. So the Beatles were always there. So there isn't one discovery as such because probably as far as I could hear <laughs> and recognise yeah. music, the Beatles was always there. I think around the age of 10, 11, 12, I started picking up the vinyl, the red, the blue albums, obviously great mm. primers of the Beatles. The CD started to come in. I was trying to find albums that... I could get the most tracks on or the cheapest at the time. I think that was Magical mm. Mystery Tour, which obviously is kind of not an album, but they created an album. And uh, yeah. Abbey Road. So I've still got those CDs 30 years later, approximately. So, Yeah, they came out in 87. Yes. Do you think they were good mixes? I think they've improved them quite a bit, haven't they? Yeah. Since then? I think technology's improved over the years, so... Um, got yeah. the cds but you're actually probably best going to the new version of abbey road and you know the better mixes in recent years but i've got the cds and i'm not getting rid of them another vinyl yeah i remember seeing an interview with george harrison he was talking about the cds and he said uh, some songs there's a horrible tambourine leaping out the right speaker and i think on revolver i think it's tax man and maybe another song i know, I know exactly what he said so um there have been, yeah, amazing improvements. Also, the isolated tracks on YouTube, you know, that came from a rock band. They've kept the music fresh. Plus, you know, the Cirque du Soleil love thing. So it's just, it's this thing that's just eternally fresh, you know. Is there anything that marks John Lennon out from the other three for you? Just saying, because my show's a John Lennon show and I've got to try and, uh, even though I've got nobody on my back telling me what to say, but I try and keep it slightly distinct from the Beatles, so... Yeah, I think John, alongside George, but in a different way, you do get a complete honesty there. Mm. I think with John Lennon, it's more from the gut, whereas with George, for example, it's kind of often more spiritual. So I think out of those two members, those are the two that the music is more of a, a window on them. Obviously, there's aspects of that with Paul, but I think with George and John. And then 
In terms of John, it's just direct or can be direct at times. It's a window on to, to his life at the time. It was certainly yeah. at his best. And for me, when you combine that with the music, there's nothing better. John and George were obviously close relationship-wise. They took LSD together. You notice they were the ones that used to go on holiday together. And Paul used to either go with George Martin or Ringo. So they kind of split off into those two camps. But then... You could never really imagine George doing a plastic owner because he probably would have thought, like you said, it was a bit too on the nose. He would have preferred to be a bit more cryptic, perhaps. I don't know. I think George generally was more produced, a bit more Spectre-esque at times, sometimes to its disadvantage where you wanted things stripped back. But certainly in those earlier years, Lennon's sound was more stripped at times compared to George's a couple of my songs come from a, an album that was apparently produced by, co-produced by Spectre, but doesn't seem to have any of his fingerprints on it. It's an early John Lennon. But uh, we'll just explain to the listeners. So what we're doing today is John Lennon best and worst songs. Now, would we agree that this is not a definitive five best and five worst? Because it's too difficult, wouldn't you say? It's impossible. I mean, maybe a top 50 or a top 100. (laughs) It changes and it's impossible to do songs justice. And there are certain songs that are fantastic, but for different reasons are not my favourite at this point. You know, there's there's tracks I can imagine which have just been kind of overplayed. And maybe if it was kind of less well-known, it would be a favourite, for example. So this is just a selection at a point in time of tracks that we feel or I feel are better and tracks that potentially worse. I went through the albums and I wrote a short list and I ended up with a short list of 25 best, which as you said, could have been 50, but I, I was very, what's the word, picky and I still, still ended up with 25 and then I pared them down to five and I kind of have a reason for each one. I tried to spread them over the, the periods, but I couldn't really find any of the very early ones or any of his comeback double fancy milk and honey period that quite made the cut but you know i'm going to mention a few honorable mentions so we're going to start with the worst again i when i say worst as well i mean i it's not that i'm just some kind of john lennon worshiper who won't hear a bad word against him it's not that it's just that i like most of his music but definitely in the solo years well, I'll get to it anyway. But um, so what we decided to do, we'll, we'll just trade one for one. We'll do worst and then best. And we're going to go chronologically through his career. So can you give us your first one? So my first one, I mean, to many people, it's a, a popular choice for worst one. But it's a Run For Your Life, right. which is from Rubber Soul. Oh, you say it's me? not so. <laughs> I mean, I, I, the tune is fine, but it does feel like Beatles by Numbers. I'm mm. not sure how well played it is, but I can put up with that. It's just, it for me, it leaves a sour taste in the mouth in re- relation to what some people would say is mis- misogyny. I mean, I guess it's an aspect of John that, you know, because John was a very complex individual and had that side to him. And I guess, you know, there's part of that which shows a bit of that. But I mean, the fact mm. it was kind of a an Elvis knockoff as mm. well and... For me, it just doesn't fit with the whole, what some people would see as a Beatles ethos as well. Mm. It's not that it's an absolutely terrible song, but it's certainly not one of my favourites. Mm. I mean, John yeah. John himself said it was throwaway. Mm. But yeah, but I mean, you go for it, Anthony, if it's one, you know, <laughs> please feel free to challenge me. 
My response was a bit of a deliberate exaggeration, actually, because uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm not going to massively disagree. I mean, it's a bit uh, in a way it's a retread of you can't do that, which is one from Hard Day's Night, which was nearly on my best list. Not because I actually think it's one of his best five, but I wanted something to represent the early John. I know what you mean. They have an expression that's an American expression on the nose that you're probably familiar with. It's one of those expressions that's becoming more and more known. And on the nose kind of means a bit too obvious or without too much nuance, you know. And I get it, you know, I get what you're saying. First line, I'd rather see you dead little girl than to be with another man, was from Baby Let's Play House, Elvis, wasn't it? Mm. And weirdly enough, you know that recording that came up from the day that John met Paul when they were teenagers? Yes. I mean, that's got mm. him doing Baby, Baby Let's Play House. Unfortunately, you don't hear the line. I'd rather see you dead, little girl. That would have been pretty weird. But um, it's a strange choice to end uh, Rubber Soul because Rubber Soul for me is such a big favourite. You know, it's uh, for me like people have always asking me, particularly since I've done this show, what's your favourite Beatles album? And there's something for every every mood. You know, if I want something just really feel good, I'll put on with the Beatles or Hard Day's Night. And then you've got something more mellow. You've got something a bit weird. And then you've got Abbey Road, which is sort of very polished professionalism so this this was a weird choice yeah it belongs to a period before that you know maybe help or I mean, although help's quite lightweight isn't it so mm. i absolutely agree it doesn't really fit with rubber soul it hasn't got the progression um the badly played i think i've got a feeling john did quite a bit of that lead guitar because it's got that sort of scratchy quality <laughs> so um I'm not really going to massively disagree with you. But, uh... I, I think it's kind of part of two flies in the ointment of Rubber Soul, that and perhaps what goes on as well. Mm. If you take those two tracks off, I think you'd be pretty close to perfection. But, I mean, what, there's very mm. few albums that from a, different people feel that every single song is their favourite, but then that's the beauty of an album. Yeah, I mean... Uh... A lot of people would say you'd take Yellow Submarine off Revolver, you know, or Maxwell Silverhammer off Abbey Road. Yeah, so you're right. It's, I guess it's hindsight, isn't it? But yeah, it was a strange choice because it's the first one they recorded as well. Yes. For that album. Yes. Hmm, interesting. Okay, my first worst one. Same year. It's only love from Help. Yes. I mean, my description of this is similar to your description, Ron, for your life. Like by numbers, it feels like something that was kind of forced. And funnily enough, you know, most of the first two years of their life was forced compositions, but you just hardly ever comes through. You know, there's a, there's a couple on Beatles for sale, second side of that. But, you know, I get high when I see you go by, you know, butterflies, butterflies. It's not bad. You know, it's not terrible. And he's got a very good voice. You know, it's only love when he gets to the chorus. It's yeah. pretty passionate. Mm. But um, my list is really... John Lennon by numbers, John Lennon without too much edge, because even the poppy John Lennon generally had some edge, particularly in the Beatles. Do you have any feelings about that song? Beatles by numbers, really. I mean, I was expecting some diamond rings to pop up or <laughs> something like that. It's only inoffensive, is kind of what I'd say. It's okay, but for the Beatles as a band, okay or average is mm. often the weaker stuff, so... It's not disagreeable, but it's it's weak. I think your next pick is going to be a bit more disagreeable, isn't it? It's What's New Mary Jane. Yes. My now, favourite. No, it's not my favourite. <laughs> it's tuneless. I mean, I'd welcome your view on this if it's actually the case. 
But didn't Lennon say that he brought half of it with Magic Alex? I don't know, actually. Do you know what interview that's from? I think it's just somewhere on the web. I'm not sure. I mean, the fact they didn't put it out, I guess, suggests that he probably anticipated that 50 years later it would be on your uh, worst of list. It's just tuneless. (laughs) The lyrics are appalling. Mm. In fact, the sound Mm. sonically of it is disagreeable. It's a poor, poor track. There's been some stuff from the White Album that didn't make it, or from that period that deserves to be on the White Album. Your Sound Milk Sea, for example. Mm. This is one track where it's probably best left. (laughs) Of course, they didn't really. They didn't put it on there. No, it's Anthology, yeah. Yeah, I'm just looking at the lyrics, and it's interesting. When we get to one of your favourite ones, it's not on my list, but it's one of my big favourites, it's got nonsense lyrics. And it's interesting, perhaps we can discuss this later, when you get away with nonsense lyrics and when you don't. I'm just looking at the lyrics. Looks as an African queen, eating 12 japatis and cream. Oh. Tastes as Mongolian lamb, coming from out of Baran. Oh. And then... Uh, Grooving such cookie spaghetti. Uh, Jumping as Mexican bean to make her body more thin. <laughs> it's not <laughs> even... Catch, it feels to me like a, if you were to tell someone who could play music to just make a song up on the spot, mm. for me, it's that kind of level. It's like, John, we need a song. Perhaps a bit like the Beatles Christmas tracks, where literally it's like, right, you've got a couple of hours in the studio, got no song, go off and do something. Yeah, Mary Jane, I suppose, points to marijuana, and it really does seem like it's just a, a stoned thing. Mm. And again, you know, weed can certainly expand your mind. And I guess the, Ringo said this actually on the anthology. He said, you know, if you actually played stoned, it, it doesn't come out very well. What you need to do is you have the experience, and then when you're more straight, then you record it. Or It's probably the same with songwriting, actually, mm. you know songwriting when you're actually high doesn't necessarily work that's good for having experiences but anyway i yeah i mean the fact they didn't put it on an album gives them a bit of credit but yeah i'd probably agree with you there the only sort of comparator is you know my name look up the number but i actually quite like mm. that so do i, so do <laughs> I, I. you know and yeah. it's, it's got humor it's a slight song but it's got that sort of bonzo dog feel this is just dirge yeah well, you know my name. It's also a little bit of an exercise. It's like I want you, she's so heavy. It's an exercise in trying to keep a song going without any lyrics, basically. Mm. And uh, you know my name. I think John and Paul really come out of that well in terms of their ability to to ham it up and be amusing. It's that bit where they, is it? Is it good evening? Welcome to Slaggers. Yeah, welcome to Slaggers. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever heard that old song called uh, "You'll Be Mine"? It was uh, yeah. from the. I think that's great. You know, that's uh, based on the Ink Spots, isn't it? Because you've got mm. the bass voice and. Uh, mm. But I, the bit with the John in the middle when he goes, "Your national health eyeball," and uh, Paul as well. It wasn't just John. Paul was pretty good at that. You know that improvising. Yeah, because John at one point John was wanting. Was it What's New, Mary Jane as the A-side, or You Know My yeah. Name as the B-side? Yeah. And it's just like, maybe it's a plastic Ono thing, but... <laughs> I feel... Feels. Yeah, I feel like there was a point where he just did seem... Either he had gone completely nuts, or he was just saying things for effect. Because then you hear these stories that he wanted Revolution 1, which is the slow revolution, as a single, which is plausible. But then I've heard that he wanted Revolution 9 as a single, but I don't think 
I did a whole show on Revolution 9. I'm a big fan of it, so I'm, I don't mean it in that way. I but... could see that. I could see the avant-garde Revolution 9 as a single, in a way. I just cannot see what's new Mary Jane just doesn't work on any level. Right, right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, my second one. I haven't actually got any more Beatles ones. There were a few stuff like, I don't know. I used to not like Bungalow Bill, but for some... With the Beatles, what's weird is that songs, they come in and out, and suddenly a song I didn't like, I suddenly like. And when I heard it on the 50th anniversary, I suddenly liked it. And the fact it's got a story and slightly dark lyrics on it. So my next one is actually It's So Hard from Imagine. Later on, I'm going to talk about a comparison between Plasticona Band and Imagine. And John Lennon's quote was, Imagine is Plasticona Band with a chocolate sauce on it. You know, one of those great John Lennon quotes. This feels very kind of formula rock and roll and not particularly inspired. And it's got these sort of crude innuendos. It's so hard and I feel like going down. But they don't really come off as sexy. They just, there's definitely something happened between 1970 and 1971 where, you know, something like Well, Well, Well. Oh, well, yeah. That's great. You know, I mean, that is very, very basic rock and roll. But, you know, when you get that. It's got some great lyrics, you know, two liberals in the sun and stuff like that. And then the screaming at the end. This is as basic as that in terms of rock and roll, but there's really not. It just sounds his sort of version of sort of cock rock, you know, <laughs> crude sexual innuendos. The thing that saves it, as I say, it's not a bad song. I couldn't really think of too many bad songs, but King Curtis, you know, on the sax, hmm. that pretty cool sax. And King Curtis, of course, died very soon after the recording, a couple of months or something. There was some sort of argument going on outside his apartment building and he went out to see it and got shot. So that's completely unrelated to the song. But um, what do you think about this one? Yeah, so King Curtis was the guy who played on Yak to Yak. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, mm. Probably nearer the by numbers element. And I think certainly in this 70-71 period, it's definitely one of the weaker tracks. It's kind of okay at the time, but forgettable in relation to early Lennon solo career is disappointing. Yeah. When there is something weaker, it sticks out because that period was amazingly strong. Mm. But when he sings, you know, I mean, another thing we might get to later when we get to the good ones is the idea of singing a lyric that sounds quite cliched, but in the right context, you get away with it. The same as the nonsense lyrics. But when he sings, when I hold you in my arms, baby, sometimes I feel like going down. And it just doesn't really feel like he's he gets away with it. It's um, By numbers is about the best way to describe it. Okay, your next one. Aha, uh -huh, now we're getting into interesting <laughs> territory. <laughs> yeah, so I've, I've dispensed of the, the Beatles stuff and we're into sort of prime Lennon. So my next worst track is Power to the People. Right. And this was the period where his sound moved into a bit more of a 70s sound rather than a Beatley sound. And for me, that's not necessarily a good thing. I mean, it's obviously based around the chant predominantly. And for me, in terms of a melody, well, oh. actually, melody's possibly not the right word. It's kind of, it is very sort of rhythmically driven track. I think mm. everything from the sax, the bass the lack of melody in it are not great. And perhaps some, there's something about the fact that compared to its prominence with John Lennon in terms of being on greatest hits and, and that kind of thing, I think it's mm. an overrated track. Perhaps if it was a B-side, 
it would be okay, but I think it's certainly in the Lennon canon, perhaps one of the most overrated Lennon tracks and not a song I would ever pick to listen to. Wow, interesting. Can you describe what you meant by a sort of 70s American sound? It's kind of everything, isn't it? It's the bass, Hmm. the drums, as you said, sax. Can I just ask you a question? Do you like uh, Young Americans, for example, the, the album, Bowie album? I love it. Is there a similarity in the sounds of those? or In terms of Young American, that, that just works in relation to its funk. Right. This has got no funk. It's just got rhythm. It just does not cut it for me. It's all slogan, but nothing mm. behind it. Yeah. I've got to say, it's quite a favourite of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put it... It wasn't anywhere near my, my top five. I think when you drill down, you're probably right, there's not too much substance, but the actual sound... There's some other some other singers. Mm. I would consider it quite funky, but not in the sense that it sounds like funk music. I mean, it's kind of bouncy, and so it's quite a favourite. I think it's just given prominence maybe because the title of it is so married to that period, you know. Actually, I had a question. Was the slogan Power to the People, did that exist before this song, do you know? I feel like it probably did. I think so. I mean, I think it's on the record that, he was being pushed by other people on the left to do something. Um, yeah. And I guess, you know, compared to Revolution, where he kind of didn't count himself in or out, it was kind of a, a more of a sloganeering statement. I've heard these people like Tariq Ali, who's a famous left-wing figure up here in the um, UK who kind of pushed him. But um, I think in subsequent interviews, it's been said by John that basically... He felt kind of pushed to do it. March 71, I keep pulling out these date lines, but they're important. Power to the people, another one to add to the collection. Any memories of that now? It's not that long ago, really, but it's nine years as we sit here in this seems hell long December day in 1980. Does it seem a hell of a long time ago to you? Oh, it just seems like power to the people. Wasn't that the First World War? No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> anyway, I remember that that was the expression going round those days, and uh, Tarek Ali had kept coming round wanting money for the Red Mole or some magazine, you know? I used to give anybody it was sort of left field, avant-garde, or in the art field or the political field money, kind of about a guilt as well, because I was thinking, well, I'm working class and I'm not one of them, but I'm rich, so therefore I have to fork out. And he was hustling for whatever he was hustling for. And I kind of wrote Power of the People in a way, as a guilt song, you know? So I, I better do that. But incidentally, we heard it last night just by accident, so to speak. Good intro. And it's very heavy, very good. So again, I think there's a bit of a theme in relation to some of these these songs that I don't like. Actually, they feel a little bit forced. Well, I think um, the next couple of songs, are, we're going to be staying in this period, aren't we? But uh, mm. I'm about to record a show next week. I'll be doing a ton of research about his assassination. And so I've been, I rewatched. I guess you've seen the US versus John Lennon. Mm. Yeah. Have you ever read John Wiener's book, Come Together? No. That's a big recommendation. It's called Come Together, John Lennon in Our Time. It's about the whole period, the immigration and his politics. But it's very interesting because it starts from 66. And it mm. talks about statements he made even on the Beatles' last tour, which actually offer quite a logical through line to um, his sort of new left anti-war stuff. Regarding the phrase... I did a bit of research. I found that Black Panthers used to say all power to the people, and he was obviously involved with them. Bobby Keys did the sax, which I probably agree with you. 
I don't always like Bobby Keys. I'm sure he's a very good sax player, but he did a lot of stuff with the Stones, and I didn't find it was always that necessary. I don't know. Might be some Bobby Keys fans up in arms. Of course, Power to the People was later used on uh, Citizen Smith. <laughs> just to Power add a, to the People. Just to, just to add a lighter note, yeah. I did used to like that show with Robert Lindsay. Mm. Okay, well, we're going to be staying with this um, <laughs> period. My next one is The Luck of the Irish. Yes. I mean, Paul brought out Give Ireland Back to the Irish at the same time. And I don't think either of those songs are anywhere near anything sort of dynamic enough. I preferred Sunday Bloody Sunday. I think that's not bad from sometime in New York City. Mm. But doing it as a kind of jaunty, I suppose it's supposed to sound vaguely Irish, some sort of Irish waltz. I don't know much about Irish music, but does it sound Irish to you? I don't. In a bad way. In a bad way, right. In a sort of stereotypical way. I'd say the the one word for this song would be cringe. Was it quite near your list then? I could have quite easily picked this, yeah. A dishonourable mention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a double vote for the look of the Irish. I don't think Paul McCartney or John Lennon came out with credit with either of those two songs, really. I, I agree. I kind of slightly prefer the McCartney one, but it's a very, very low bar. Yeah, you, I mean, when Yoko comes in as oh, well, I mean, it just sounds... I mean, I... I, I always like it when Yoko sounds good, and I would say on the song Birthday, you know, when she comes in on the chorus with Patty Harrison, and on Happy Christmas War is Over, I think she sounds lovely yeah. on the chorus. So I like it when she sounds good, but here she, she sings with a very, very strong accent, and it almost just... Nowadays you can't say anything, can you? But uh, you know what I mean? It's just her singing it with what sounds like such a strong Japanese accent, Japanese-slash-American accent, it almost divorces them even more from it. But I think my overall feeling about this period, I just don't think, yeah, either they were pushed or they were so desperate to sort of make some kind of mark. But I don't really feel like they probably researched these things as deeply as they should have done. And this is almost like a kind of bad history lesson. You know, it's I don't really know what else to say about it. It's, and it, he was very kind of keen on playing it. Like um, there's an episode of the David Frost show. I think it's January 72. And he plays this live. And then some people in the audience, they really take him to task over Attica State, which was another kind of contender. But I quite like that musically. Take a seat there. Now, you both wanted to make a point. I'm sorry, we couldn't see you up there. John and Yoko are here. I'm Hello. here. So Hi. make, Hello. make Hello. the point. Hello. 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 You both had a question. I agree that Attica State was a tragedy. Yeah. But you are making it sound as You're if the only worthwhile to... people in this world are people who committed crimes we're no, put we away. That. We say here, 43 poor widowed wives. We're not talking about just prisoners' wives, or we're talking about policemen's <laughs> wives. Anybody that was hurt there. there with their hands folded, and Who did? nice the 43. That 43 people they, were killed altogether, including yes, on both nobody, sides. Right? Nobody was responsible for this. Well, except no, we didn't say the establishment, Rockefeller. Yeah, right. But the, That's what the we're prisoners saying. who went on strike had nothing to do with it. They are now martyrs. We're, we're not saying they're martyrs. If they hadn't done saying. something we're wrong singing, in the like, first place, they wouldn't have been there. We're like newspaper men, you know? Only we sing about what's going on but instead what of writing about it. We're saying that everybody as... needs freedom. Everybody has oh, a basic right. <laughs> If you're not you just let them walk around them, and kiss them everywhere. You are responsible of their crime as well. We are Why all responsible. Right? But if they hadn't done something, they wouldn't have been there. 
yeah. and what's a society do? We, we are a society, I, I so we're all responsible for each other. Good, but you cannot have criminals running around. You don't live in New York City, maybe. You live in well, a we little have cloistered here, yeah. ivory tower now that you're big stars. That chaos in New York. You are. Well, then why don't you become policemen and go around and educate these people policemen. instead of singing songs? Yeah. No, you're a private policeman. Eating them yeah. is not the solution. Yeah. You have to take care of them by love and care, not and by eating And also, you have to tell heads. people about what's going on. You don't. People in England don't know what's going on. Why do we know what's going on? singing about what's going on in Ireland too so when? I mean it's the same we're just reporters when we're singing about uh, well all the times you know the other day we just did a, a rally there's well, going to be what? a rally for Attica oh, prisoners or something I'm not quite sure what it is it's something to do with Attica tomorrow night at the Apollo and we've been invited to play the song there and just go there to show that we care and we'll go along and we sing it if they want us to or we won't we just say hello whatever it is and it's just to show that people like us care and then we're not just living in ivory towers in Hollywood that we care about what's going on in New York, in Harlem, in Ireland, in England, in Vietnam, in China, everywhere. What? Yeah. Walk through one of those neighborhoods at 2 in the morning to go home. Well, I will. You wouldn't be singing about home. the people who were locked up in jail for mugging you. I'm not singing only about the people who were locked up in jail. This song says 43 people were killed. Yes. 43 on both sides. Fine, but if they hadn't done something wrong, they wouldn't be there. Nobody would have done Why did they do something wrong? Because they never had a chance in life. Shall we move on? What's, we're staying with this period, aren't we? Your next one. Yeah, we segue <laughs> very nicely into John Sinclair. <laughs> right. I actually don't think this is a bad track. It's just the mm. fact that he says gotcha, I don't know how many times repeatedly, and that just gets my goat. Right. It, it gets to the point where he's going gotcha, and I think, yeah, I can manage this, I'll manage it, and then he says it three or four times more and it's like no just stop it now i get the point but you're saying it too many times yeah. if he'd said it a few more times i think it would be bearable and you do get the release of is that mm. some sort of slide guitar yeah i like the sound of this yeah i said if i was choosing another one i probably would do on attica state but there were a few contenders i think some of the lyrics are quite good like um yeah i mean you're singing about you know cia selling dope which was quite a big thing in 1971 to write about that I guess you know the story of John Sinclair, right? Yeah, so he was... Was he an activist? Yeah, he was in... Um, well, there was a thing called the White Panthers. Uh, guess where they got the name from. <laughs> but, uh, he got imprisoned for basically dealing marijuana, but it was like two joints or something, and then ended up in prison for ten years, which is just ridiculous. So ten for two, yeah. Yeah. They gave him ten for two. He served uh, two years, and then they did that rally at Ann Arbor, Michigan, mm. And he was released, was it one day or two days next day or something? Just to summarise, I think it's a good song, Spoiled. And right, right. I mean, if you just cut off the gotchas or have them, I think mm. it would be one of the stronger songs from that period. Right, right, right. The production on that song is, and the sound of it is good, unlike mm. some of the other material in that time. Yeah. I remember I actually went to New York. I've only ever been to America once. I went to New York. It was the first anniversary of 9-11, which would make it 2002. I don't think I'd ever heard this album. And I played some time in New York City and divorcing myself from the lyrics and everything and just listening to it as an album was quite enjoyable. This whole album is quite derided. What do you think about the whole idea of this sort of front page songwriting? It's potentially good, but I think it leads mm. back to a previous point about being forced. If you're working at breakneck speed to 
write a song about something that's going on now, mm-hmm. unless you are really, really hot, you are likely to pull out some of your weaker material, you know, mm. a bit like Wings Wildlife. Mm. And I think if you get so bound up with the lyrics, that can potentially, at its worst, undermine the melody. Mm. So I think it's a, a victim of that a little bit. So it's just yeah. pushed through a bit too fast. As an album, I mean, it's obviously it's only really half a John Lennon album anyway, because it's half the songs are Yoko, like Double Fantasy, I guess. Mm. But I would take it over the... Can I segue to my next one? Please. Gonna, yeah, it's sort of a, another segue, because it's his next album, Mind Games. Now, there's a few quite good songs. I mean, I like the song Mind Games. Mm. Uh, there's one called uh, Bring on the Lucy, that one, Free the People. And some people think he's talking about Lucifer on that one. <laughs> there's a couple of other good ones, but I found three or four quite weak ones. And to be honest, I think, if I was being really precise, I probably would have picked another one of these instead of maybe It's So Hard or even It's Only Love. But I picked one called Only People. Now, I'm just going to recite a few lyrics. Mind Games is quite typified with a very samey, mid-tempo, verse-chorus, verse-chorus, without really any surprises. And uh, there were a couple of the weaker songs. There was one called Meat City, mm. which has really got nothing to it, but it's quite rocky. So I kind of took it over this one. Only people just know how to talk to people. Only people know just how to change the world. Only people realize the power of people. A million heads are better than one. Um, and he's got stuff about we're hipper. We've been through the trip. We can't be denied with woman and man side by side. And he's got stuff about bake the cake and eat it. And, you know, with a better song and maybe something edgier, those lyrics you know, might be fine, you know. But in a mid-tempo song, it's just very, as I said, on the nose. It's very kind of facile. An interesting thing with his best songwriting, something like Woman. I mean, Woman is not one of my choices in my best, but it's a, I like it. Mm. You know, singing I love you, which is in one way is the most banal thing you could ever put in a lyric. I love you because it's been done so many times. But in the right context, it's fine. But the problem is if you come up with simple lyrics to a not great song then they they verge into facile you know what i mean mm. and he's doing all this hip stuff i think when he tries to be american a bit like mick jagger it kind of turns me off a bit do you know the mind games album reasonably well or? for me it's kind of half a good album mm. i think it's very very patchy i think in relation to only people it's a very average or forgettable song but i think the lyrics are the cherry on top which make it even weaker given that it's a string of amphemic cliches. Exactly. And it, even on his own terms, he did far, far better. Yeah, he's got one called Asumasen, which I think means I'm sorry in Japanese. One day at a time. There's some, yeah, some really nice ones. There's Out the some, Blues. Well, that, good. that's class. That's brilliant. That is Do you like that? Out yeah. the Blue? Mm. I'd agree with you. Half a good album. Another contender, because my last one is uh, 1980s. I just want to talk briefly. Going Down on Love was another contender, which is from Walls and Bridges, which I think is a good album. Stuff like Nobody Nobody Loves You When You're Down and Out. That's great. Yeah, it's a good one. Obviously, Number Nine Dream, I like. But yeah, Going Down on Love, which is a weird opener. I think openers and closers have to be really good. I think there's some great tracks on Walls and Bridges. I mean, there's a few... A bit like Rubber Soul, there's a few tracks that are poor, but I think I, I mm. like it. 
couple of uh, turds in the punch bowl, as they say <laughs> in America. <laughs> mm. Now, on the subject of that, what's your last one? Your last turkey? Relative turkey. Ah, yes. See, we were talking about that 70s sound. Mm. So my next track and final track that uh, I'm not a fan of is Whatever Gets You Through the Night. Maybe it's just something about Lennon and that 70s sound. And we were also talking about the funk. And for me, again, this is forced funk. Played too fast. It's like one of those arena Rolling Stones concerts, perhaps even some of the Beatles concerts where adrenaline just kicks the track just that little bit too fast. I'd be Mm. interested to see if it can be deconstructed, stripped back, maybe slowed down and something Mm. done with it. Again, the sax just doesn't work. And um, I don't know how it made number one, but I guess in terms of the American charts in 1974, there's probably quite a few tracks I probably dislike. It doesn't work for me and it's too fast. Don't like the production. Don't like the lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) I don't hate it, but... I don't like it. Mm. Yeah, the live version when he was at Madison Square Garden with Elton, mm. that one works because that's fast, but it's live. And he was really nervous, so he's playing it really fast. But um, I think there's two saxes, actually, one of them's Bobby Keys. So, yeah, I'm not mad on that sax sound either. But, um, I mean, it wasn't really near my worst, but it wasn't near my best either. It's kind of middling for me, I think. I do quite like isolated tracks, by the way, because I'm a mm. musician as well. There is an isolated track of Elton John's piano, and it's just fantastic. He's just kind of playing the chords and then a couple of licks, but Elton, even just playing the chords, just sounds fantastic.
I like the energy of it. I think those two had a real rapport, and I, mm. I'd like to think that they would have worked together again. But um, kind of middling for me. Deserved of uh, US number one? I think Number Nine Dream, which I think was a single, would have been much better. Mm. Obviously, this is a kind of party song, isn't it? I mean, it was, would be fun at a party, but... I think as a, th- a nightmare party. <laughs> it's just got no... It, it does not have good rhythm. It propels you along, but possibly against your will, against yeah. my will. <laughs> All right, interesting. Right, my last one is Forgive Me My Little Flower Princess. Now, interestingly, with 1980, he obviously put out Double Fancy, which was half John and half Yoko. And then this album Milk and Honey came out posthumously, 84, I think. So between the two, you've kind of got a John Lennon 1980 album. I kind of put together Mm. my own one. And some of them weren't finished. You know, Grow Old With Me, which is quite a nice song. It's got that thing called a rhythm box, which is kind of like a very crude drum machine. I'm going to ask you your opinion of the Double Fancy in a second or that whole period, but... I think this one and one called Clean Up Time, that was another contender because that's a kind of, the lyrics are a bit of a rehash of Cry Baby Cry. That's sort of the queen is in the counting house and all that. I don't buy the idea that John Lennon had cleaned up either. So I think it's fake in that way. And this song, let me just uh, recount the lyrics. It's got this sort of calypso rhythm. Is it? Mm. Something like that. It doesn't bear any relation to Calypso music, so that was a weird. Forgive me, my little flower princess, for crushing your delicateness. Forgive me if you could forgive me. Forgive me for selfishness. There's no way to repay you. Whatever it takes, I'll try to. The rest of my life, I will thank you, thank you, thank you, my little. You know, and it's, yeah, all right, fine. I think John and Yoko were totally in love in 68, 69. It was very intense and very sexual, and there was drugs involved and it was very very real and you know changed his life Uh, some people say it saved his life barry miles who i'm sure you've heard of Mm. said that he was sure that john lennon was going to become a sid barra-esque lsd casualty if he hadn't met yoko which i think is quite telling but i think by 1980 i mean i i'm actually might be interviewing fred seaman at some point i know that he's a very contentious figure and some people think it's bullshit what he wrote in his book but this whole idea that he'd resolved all his issues and he was deliriously happy and him and Yoko were in love. You know, I think probably like a lot of married people, you settle into a kind of partnership. But I don't buy that whole um, John and Yoko 1980 thing. And this is almost the worst of it. So it's kind of cloying lyrics, a pointless calypso rhythm. And uh, how about you? <laughs> what do you think of the what do you think of his 1980 recordings in general? I think you've been a bit unfair on John. Yeah? Only on the basis of Milk and Honey being kind of the the leftovers or or songs that Mm -hmm. he put aside. And I think we may be playing a clip later on in the show in relation to some of the best material. But um, when I spoke to Earl Slick, who was one of the guitarists with John in that period, he was saying that that material for Milk and Honey was basically demos and needed fleshing out and... I'm not saying that, forgive me, My Little Flower mm-hmm. Princess would have actually been fleshed out successfully, but for me, it potentially could have just been left on the floor because John might have had more material. So judge it on that basis. It's not mm. a finished song. It's not necessarily a song that actually would have got released as part of an album. It might have been a B-side, for example. Yeah, but my counter to that is that there's a bootleg called Between the Lines, I mean, there's this kind of myth that he 
he said he hung up his guitar for five years. I found out years later. This is funny. When you know the Philip Norman book that you were talking yeah. about when we talked uh, a while ago. It actually turned out that there was one specific guitar that he hung up behind his bed. But on the day that he died, he gave an interview, literally hours before he died, where he says, um, I didn't touch my guitar for five years, and that is bullshit. He didn't touch that guitar, but he was composing constantly. So my counter to your counter would be, he actually wrote or demoed, it seems like 30 to 40 songs in those five years. And the fact that he chose to record this, I think means he was considering it. But no, I, I yeah, I take your point. It hadn't gone out. You're absolutely right. But um I mean, yeah, the lyrics are terrible. <laughs> I think he was dependent on Yoko because the, the song Woman comes off as quite sincere. But then if you think that's sincere, then you're kind of buying into what I call their myth. I call their myth. I could be wrong. I think he was dependent, but in a, a sort of more childish way, almost. Mm. And May Pang's book, again, that some people don't, think she was a sort of spurned lover and not everything's true but again that seemed to ring true that when he was drunk in the lost weekend he sort of entered these dark recesses of just infantile shouting yoko's name at the top of his voice so there you have it the end of part one john lennon's quote-unquote worst songs we didn't have a natural segue so i kind of had to cut it off cold there but anyway as i said that was part one that was a kind of a prelude the main act will come out sometime next week middle of next week uh, what about that elton john isolated track amazing i should have said actually it was piano and organ both played by elton there you heard me say oh he's more or less just doing the chords perhaps he was doing a bit more than that when i listened back to it later but i mean it's still based on chords but it's uh, his rhythmic sense and everything that even when he is just playing chords it still sounds special and then he was putting all these licks in uh, particularly towards the end just building momentum so uh, really kind of virtuoso performance without being too virtuoso you know having a solid kind of rhythm anyways i didn't mention the virus at the beginning the intro here i was going to you know make some cliched remark about us living in strange times or i could even use a john lennon phrase nobody told me there'd be days like these which loyal listener paul killingly wrote to me and we've kind of settled into well kind of new normality it's not normal obviously and unfortunately, the escalating number of cases is now becoming a normality. So um, I don't have any words of wisdom for you. But if you like this podcast and you like listening to me talk, then I may as well say something. Which is just to say, you know, deal with what's immediately around you. You'll see people who are using this opportunity to get fit. Like Even if they can't leave their house now, they're doing... My friend Stuart is doing um, martial arts and videos and... Uh, I think maybe stretching, meditation, all that kind of thing. So um, there is good to be had out of anything. You know, It's impossible to say anything in a crisis. That doesn't sound like a cliche. But anyway, I should stop covering my own back there and just shut the fuck up and, yeah, either talk or not talk. Anyway, um, just stay safe, you know, and um, I will continue to pump these podcasts out because, you know, I may as well. I'm here at home. I'm still working at home as well. So I'm in... Uh, fairly fortunate and comfortable position so um i'll keep these coming there's some very contentious stuff coming up in april which i've mentioned before and i might decide whether it's the right time to put those out i'll talk to the people involved but i kind of um think of this podcast as separate from the situation we're in that's why i didn't introduce it so with uh, talking about it so um anyway just best wishes and uh, take care of the, yourself and the people around you take all the necessary precautions 
but unless you're actually directly in the situation, perhaps uh, all I could say really is don't panic and make the best of the situation. Humans are very adaptable and are very good at making the best of things. You know, you hear all the old wartime stories. This is a kind of war as well, in a way, isn't it? Against a silent enemy. I am aware that there are other issues around this. I mean, obviously, some people are going to say that it's a bioweapon, and um, I wouldn't rule that out totally. But, uh, you know, you can't at this time talk about things like capitalizing on it, you know, and draconian measures that may be coming down the pipe. I've been talking to this with a number of people recently, not on air, but uh, private conversations. Anyway, I'll see you very soon for part two with Jason Barnard, where we will give you the non-definitive list of John Lennon's five best songs. All right, see you very soon. Take care of yourself. Goodbye.